Tonight's passage is on the back of the order of service, and it's from 1 John chapter 3, verses 11 to 24. For this is the message you heard from the beginning, we should love one another. Do not be like Cain, who belonged to the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own actions were evil and his brothers were righteous. Do not be surprised, my brothers and sisters, if the world hates you. We know that we have passed from death to life because we love one another. We love each other. Anyone who does not love remains in death. Anyone who hates a brother or sister is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life residing in him. This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. If anyone has material possessions and sees a brother or sister in need, but has no pity, how can the love of God be in that person? Dear children, let us not love with words or speech, but with actions and in truth. This is how we know that we belong to the truth and how we set our hearts at rest in his presence. If our hearts condemn us, we know that God is greater than our hearts and he knows everything. Dear friends, if our hearts do not condemn us, we have confidence before God and receive from him anything we ask because we keep his commands and do what pleases him. And this is his command, to believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and to love one another as he commanded us. The one who keeps God's commands lives in him and he in them. And this is how we know that he lives in us. We know it by the spirit he gave us. Great, thanks, Dolu. Uh, good evening, welcome. For those who don't know me, I'm Jonathan. I'm one of the leaders here uh, at church. Just to say, um, particularly warm welcome if you are looking into the Christian faith. Uh, thank you for uh, for being here because uh, it's not uh, something that happens often that people are looking in uh, to Christianity. Uh, many people think actually religion, what's all that got to do with with anything? But thank you for being here. Um, just to say, it'd be really helpful if you have that a little sheet of paper. Um, with you, we're just going to be having a little look at uh, a part of the Bible, and it'd be just really helpful uh, as you look at the, the back of that piece of paper, uh, as I just referred to it like, a little bit. I'm going to pray um, and ask that God would help us as we look at His Word together. Heavenly Father, uh, help us as we read Your Word, the Bible. Uh, help me to explain it clearly. And Father, would Your Holy Spirit open our eyes? to see uh, what, it, what it is saying to us tonight in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm going to begin with a statement, see what you think of it, uh, try to emphasize. Uh, our culture is in love with love. Our culture is in love with love. How, how, how does that uh, feel to you? What do you think about that? I think that statement is true. I've made, I've made that up. I sort of formulated that myself. Uh, because I think that's true because the fascination of, of our culture that it has with love. So we can see this fascination in the TV we watch. So back in 2019, over 6 million people watched an episode of Love Island. Don't know whether you were part of that. Not only that, but you've got other programs like uh, Take Me Out uh, and First Dates. These are big uh, programs that focus, uh, popular programs focus on love. Um, we can see this fascination with love in the songs we listen to. So Lewis Capaldi's first number one uh, uh, track was Someone You Loved. Um, and we can also see this fascination if we open our eyes and just walk around our city 
Uh, I was walking to the supermarket when I saw this sign. All you need is love and lunch. It was advertising a local sandwich bar. Um, wonder what you make of that. Um, and so love actually is all around us. And those three examples make me want to modify the opening statement I made to this. Our culture is in love with romantic love, I think. Our culture is in love with romantic love. Romantic love is definitely the focus of Love Island. It's definitely the focus of Lewis Capaldi's song. I'm assuming it's the focus of that A-board advertising sandwich shop about romantic love. And it seems to be that romantic love is held up as the highest kind of love. To put it another way, our culture sees romantic love as real love. The love we need to strive for. And if you haven't got that kind of love, you haven't got real love. That's what I I think as I look around our culture today. Uh, Back in 2014, John Lewis, I wonder whether you remember their Christmas advert, but Monty the Penguin. uh, And Monty the Penguin gets a female uh, penguin uh, for Christmas. And over the advert, do you remember what the song was saying? It's real love. It's real. It's real love. It's real. And if I'm right that our culture sees romantic love as the real love, then we're left with a problem. If romantic love is the real love, then uh, it does such a great job of disappointing us time after time after time, doesn't it? We expect real love to be unconditional and never-ending. That's what the songs sing. But romantic love usually fails on one of those or even both of those Um, So for a start, romantic love isn't never-ending. Romantic love can end so quickly if one decides that it's just not working for them. I don't know whether you've ever caught the music video to Luce Capaldi's song, Someone You Love, but you realise about a breakup of a relationship. Here is uh, some of the words. Now the day bleeds into nightfall and you're not here to get me through it all. I let my guard down and then you pulled the rug. I was getting kind of used to being someone you loved. However, not all romantic relationships end. Some of them go, to, go the distance or go a little bit further than that relationship that Louis Capaldi was singing about. And yet they don't seem unconditional. It's a slightly older song, but back in 2007, uh, Kate Nash released the track Foundations. It's about a relationship that is still there, still going, but it's a bit turning sour. Here's some of the lyrics. My fingertips are holding on to the cracks in our foundation, and I know that I should let go but I can't. And every time we fight, I know it's not right. Every time that you're upset, I smile. I know I should forget, but I can't. And Kate Nash then sings about some of the things that's really annoying her about the relationship with the boyfriend that she's in. So Thursday night, everything's fine, except you've got that look in your eye. Uh, When I'm telling a story and you find it boring, you're thinking of something to say, you'll go along with it and then drop it and then humiliate me in front of our friends and it it goes on you can watch the the video and the video at the very end Kate Nash picks up the suitcase and leaves showing her love for her boyfriend isn't unconditional it's conditional on on him meeting some needs uh, in in that relationship and not and not annoying her and so we're all looking for real love and our culture says is found in romantic love But the more and the more romantic love disappoints us. It's not never-ending. It's not unconditional. And we might might even know that ourselves as we've engaged in in romance and then found it uh, leaving us wanting. 
And yet that hunger for real love remains. And we find that it doesn't, it doesn't get satisfied in, in, go, in chasing after romance or even you know, get, get, getting into a, a long-term relationship. And so what are we to make of desiring something that we can't find satisfaction for? What are we to make of that? Don't know whether you've ever read uh, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. C.S. Lewis wrote some other things. Here's something else that he wrote. He said, creatures are not born with desires unless satisfaction for those desires exist. A baby feels hunger. Well, there's such a thing as food. A duckling wants to swim. Well, there's such a thing as water. Men feel sexual desire. Well, there's such a thing as, as sex. If I find in myself a desire which no experience in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that I was made for another world. And so in other words, C.S. Lewis is saying, if we can't find satisfaction for our, our, our hunger for real love in romantic love, we're looking in the wrong place. He's saying that real love is found elsewhere. It's not found in romantic love, but it just disappoints us time and time again. It's not unconditional. It's not never-ending. This might be a surprise for some people here um, if you're looking into Christianity, but the but the Bible commends people who are searching for real love. So that is a, a good thing to do. That is a good search to be on. However, the Bible doesn't point towards romantic love as the place where real love is found. Instead, it points to a person. And that's what our reading from the Bible was saying. The passage on your order of, of service is taken from a letter uh, written by one of Jesus' earliest followers, a man called John. Uh, who knew Jesus, saw Jesus, talked with Jesus, ate with Jesus. And this is what he writes in line uh, 16. Uh, This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. And John says uh, that we are able to know what real love actually looks like, not by looking at romantic love, but looking at the person of Jesus Christ. I was chatting with someone this week and we agreed that that sentence, Jesus Christ laid down his life for us, isn't altogether clear unless you're someone who's a Christian and can fill in sort of the gaps. So what does it mean? Well, the claim of Christianity is that God stepped down from eternity into history as a baby born in Bethlehem. And Jesus made this, uh, this, grand, uh, this great step down into space-time with a specific purpose in mind. He was on a rescue mission. And the Bible says that every human being has rebelled against God, who is their creator and their sustainer. And the heart of the rebellion is not so much rule-breaking, rather the heart of this rebellion is rule-making. So God, as the creator and sustainer of this universe, should be the one who tells us what is right and what is wrong, because he made us and sustains us. He gives us our, 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 our breath, our, the food that we eat, the life inside of us. But human beings have rebelled against God by robbing him of the right to make the rules for us. And this rule-making rebellion means that we decide what is right and what is wrong. We decide how we're going to live and not God's. Just imagine uh, you're married with children and one day uh, young Janet and John come to you and say, we've had enough of you telling us to tidy our rooms and go to bed on time. Instead, we're going to ignore you and make up our own house rules. We're going to go to bed whenever we want, whatever time we want, and we're going to uh, never tidy our rooms. 
And so that evening it gets to 7 p.m. and you turn to Janet and John and tell them uh, to go to bed. And, but they stamp their foot and say, no, no, we make the rules. We're staying up late and we're going to ignore you. And if I was a parent at that point, I would get, begin to get a little bit angry, wouldn't you? If you were a parent at that point, you know, you have uh, you know, worked for the house that they live in. You work for the food, you put food on the table. Uh, as you provide food for them, uh, you sustain them, you look after them, you protect them, and here they are saying, you don't make the rules, we make the rules, and you can go and, and jog on. So how much more angry should God be with us as we uh, do this, this rule-making for ourselves? He gives us health and family and holidays and, and, and fitness and friends and fun, but we stamp off us and say, no. I'll make the rules. I'll do what's right in my eyes. And and I'll say what's wrong in my eyes too. And the Bible says that God, understandably, like parents uh, with those kind of children, is angry about that. And he's promised that one day all people who rebel against him, who are rule-making rebels, will be punished for their rule-making rebellion. But God is love. And so he doesn't want to punish people. He wants to rescue them. And so he sent his son into the world to provide a rescue for that punishment. And so line 16 of our passage is just John describing how Jesus rescues rebellious, rule-making human beings from future punishments. If we just fast forward 33 years from that stable in Bethlehem, we encounter Jesus one more time. This time he is bleeding and dying on a Roman cross. And if you were there at the time, all you would see is a man who's being executed by the Romans for rebellion. Because that is what the Romans reserved crucifixion for, for rebels, insurrectionists. A few years ago, I went on holiday to the US and my American host took me to a a baseball game. It was good fun, but I hadn't got a clue about the rules of baseball. Uh, you know, why, what is the ninth inning stretch and all that sort of stuff. So as we watched the, watched the game, he gave me a running commentary, so I understood more deeply what was going on. And so what the Bible does, it provides us with a running commentary on the crucifixion of Jesus, because we could just look at it and not understand what's really going on behind uh, the, the death of this man. And it tells us that, the, uh, that Jesus was completely uh, innocent, but had been framed for crimes he didn't commit. And the Bible also tells us that Jesus died on the cross. God the Father transferred all the rebellion of rule-making humanity and placed it onto Jesus. And even though Jesus had led an innocent life, completely innocent, for those three hours on the cross, he became a rebel in the eyes of God. And Jesus became a rebel so that he could take the punishments we deserve for our rule-making rebellion. And so instead of God's punishment hitting us, it hit Jesus on the cross. And Jesus became a rebel and suffered like a rebel in order to rescue rebels like me and rebels like you. And that is what John is referring to when he writes in line 16, Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. Jesus was prepared to take the punishments we should have taken. And so for Jesus to die self-sacrificially, lovingly in our place, taking the punishments that I deserve, I just find that simply just breathtaking. 
that, that God would do that for me. Let me try and illustrate why I think Jesus' love is so breathtaking. I don't know whether you've seen it, but there's a viral post that's been going around uh, on Facebook and, and Twitter and other places. I'm not sure whether it's true, but it's a preacher's dream, so uh, let's just go with it. A doctor wrote these words. He said this. Today I operated on a little girl. She needed O-blood. We didn't have any, but her twin brother has O-blood. I explained to him that it was a matter of life and death. And he sat quietly for a moment and then said goodbye to his parents. I didn't think anything of it until after we took his blood and he asked, so when will I die? He thought he was giving his life for hers. Thankfully, they'll both be fine. And that's such a moving story, isn't it? A a brother who was willing to give his life for his twin sister. And that is real, unconditional love, isn't it? It's, It's breathtaking. How much more breathtaking is Jesus' death on the cross? Jesus gave his blood, not for a a much-loved sibling, but for his rule uh, making rebellious enemies. And whereas this boy didn't die, Jesus Christ did. And rather, uh, he gave his blood and he died. And Jesus did this so that his rule-making enemies could be forgiven and brought from rebellion and transformed into Jesus' spiritual brothers and spiritual sisters. And that is real love, because it's unconditional. He does it out of the, the, you know, his, his love, not because we are lovable. And only the Christian God can offer us that real unconditional love our hearts crave. Uh, C.S. Lewis wrote another book. He wrote something called Four Loves. This is what he, what he said in it. God, who needs nothing, loves into existence wholly superfluous creatures in order that he may love and perfect them. He created the universe already foreseeing the buzzing cloud of flies about the cross, the flayed back pressed against the uneven stake, the nails driven through the mesial, sorry, medics, if I've pronounced that wrong, nerves, the repeated incipient suffocation as the body droops, the repeated torture of his back and arms as it is time after time, for breath's sake, hitched up. If I may dare the biological image, God is a host who deliberately creates his own parasites, causes us to be that we may exploit and take advantage of him. Herein is love. This is the diagram of love himself, the inventor of all loves. And in that quote, Lewis hints at why romantic love will always fail to satisfy and why Jesus' love shown on the cross is the real, unconditional, never-ending love we're all hungering for. I wonder whether you noticed it. It's actually in the first four words. God who needs nothing. God who needs nothing. God does not need us to love him. His love towards those who put their trust in Jesus is is constant, never-ending, never-failing, because the type of love he has is gift love. It flows out from God because he is love. But romantic love is a need love. I'm not saying that romantic love is not love at all. I'm just saying it's a different kind of love. It's a need love. Someone loves someone else because they have certain needs that are satisfied in loving that person. Just listen back to some more lines of Lewis Capaldi's song. I need someone to heal 
someone to know, someone to have, someone to hold. I need someone to heal. And when those needs are no longer satisfied by the other person, romantic love ends. And that's the difference between need love and gift love. But because God's gift love doesn't depend on the receiver being lovable or satisfying a need in God's, then, then, the, uh, uh, then the giver uh, who loves us, it comes unconditionally. It never ends because God's is love. I wonder what you make of this, all this if you're someone who's looking into the Christian faith. Uh, perhaps you're new to Christian things and this is the first time you've heard anything about Jesus, anything about his death on the cross, what it meant, why he went there. And I think I've covered things at uh, quite a gallop. And perhaps you feel like you might want to chew over what was said. Here are three options. I think first, if you are someone who likes to process things on their own, why not um, pick up one of these, uh, copy of these books, the, the Case for Christ. It's just on on the on the, the bookstall on the way out, just on that with the black, um, the, uh, the, uh, you know, the black cover. Um, if you're going to read it, take it for free. And it's probably for people who um, have got don't quite know as much about the Christian faith as they'd like to. Maybe they want to have some of their objections answered. They've got objections to Christianity. Why not take one of them? It's free if you'll read it. I guess second, if you've never actually read a biography of Jesus' life, why not pick up a free cover, uh, copy of this book, Uncover Mark? It's just a biography of Jesus' life written by one of Jesus' followers, and you can read it on your own. Uh, but like my American friend at the baseball match, it's always helpful to have someone a little bit more knowledgeable by, than you sitting beside you and just talking you through it. So why not read it with a Christian friend? Maybe a Christian friend who brought you tonight. Uh, if you've never really read anything about Jesus, then it's, uh, why not actually read something about him? Um, I don't know about you. Uh, I've lived in Birmingham for eight years. I get a little bit annoyed by people who have a go at Birmingham but never lived here, never visited you know, and actually, I want to say, well, if you're going to have a go at Birmingham, actually, you know, actually live here. How much more should we actually look into uh, Jesus, not write him off? Uh, so, if you're going to write him off, actually write him off, having read a biography of his life. Do pick up with that. that again, that's free. That's one of those one of those table on that table there. I think third, if you're someone who's perhaps more of a verbal processor, then what we also uh, do, we've got this uh, Christianity Explore, which may be for you. Uh, so we have a building in, in Celio. We've got um, uh, a, a building in, on Tiverton Road. And what we do, we meet at 7.30 on a Monday. There's a meal, there's a DVD, and we read a small chunk of uh, biography of Jesus' life from Mark's Gospel. And then you can ask any question you want. And if you're a verbal processor, maybe that's something where you want to go to, uh, to, just, to just to talk through some of the questions, you know, particularly about you know, love and, and, and whether Jesus' love is, is, is that real love that we're all craving. It's happening tomorrow. You don't need to sign up to it. Just go along. You'd be very, very welcome. But you may be here tonight and God has been speaking to you. And perhaps you've been at City Church for a number of weeks or months. And you realize, maybe particularly tonight that you are a rule-making rebel against God, and that if you persist, then you, you just realize for the first time that, that God will not allow that to go on forever. There will be a day when he'll say no, and you'll need to face the consequences of rule-making rebellion. But you also know that the love that Jesus showed on the cross, and so you understand what's going on at the cross, 
And you understand that that is real love, unconditional love for anyone who will accept this. And you know that Jesus is God. And you know that his death actually pays uh, for those rebels and can transform you from God's enemy to one of God's friends. And so not everyone will be in that position tonight, and that's fine. But for those who are in a position tonight, uh, uh, and for, it's a, tonight is a great night for rebels to put down their arms and to ask the Lord Jesus for forgiveness. And if that's you, then I'm going to close uh, with, a, with, a, with a prayer. It's a prayer that would be suitable for someone wanting to receive Jesus into their life, that you are convinced of this. And tonight is a night where you want to make a decision to follow the Lord Jesus and to, um, to submit yourself to him. Here's the prayer. Um, we're we're going to pray. If you're ready to respond to Jesus in this way, you can silently echo it in your heart as I pray it. So why don't we just bow our heads and, uh, or, uh, and close our eyes. Uh, but if you're wanting to uh, put your trust in the Lord Jesus, to become one of his followers, to become a Christian, then why don't you pray along with me? As I, as I pray this. Lord Jesus Christ, I confess that I've lived the wrong way without you as Lord of my life. I now turn from living as I please. Thank you for dying on the cross for my sins. Please forgive me and come into my life by your Spirit to enable me to live for you as my Lord from now on. Amen. And if you've prayed that prayer and you've meant it, then the Lord Jesus has heard it and has answered it. And you have begun a new relationship with him. And the best way to help you get yourself going in that relationship would just be to tell another Christian, maybe a Christian friend, that you've prayed that prayer. And they can make some suggestions about what to do next as you begin the Christian life. Thank you so much for listening. I'm going to hand back to, to Susan as she continues to just lead us through the, the rest of the service.